0: Welcome to This Food Thing Podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Hi, welcome back to This Food Thing Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today with Dan Price. Dan is a sports nutritionist, event speaker and writer for the National Press. He's a freelance nutritionist based in Covent Garden and head of nutrition at 639's Boutique London Studios and at A Movement Perspective, which is known as AMP. Alongside all of this, he helps develop online fitness communities, apps and nutrition guides. And when he manages to squeeze an extra hour out of his day, he speaks at fitness expos around the world. Dan, welcome to this Food Thing podcast.
1: Hello Gemma, thanks so much for having me.
0: No, it's an absolute pleasure. How do you manage to fit everything in?
1: (laughs) It it does sound like a lot when you read all of that, but uh, no, it's, it's okay. Things are much, much calmer these days. Uh, so it's mainly yeah, just working with my clients and kind of keeping on top of a bit of content production when you can find the time, I guess.
0: Yeah. OK. So I know that you started as a personal trainer mm. and I know that you are now. Uh, and let's underline this. You are a nutritionist, um, a yep. qualified nutritionist, not a nutritionist coach.
1: Yeah.
0: How would I'm sure it's been a very interesting uh journey to get to where you are how would you describe your relationship with food would you describe it as a as a friend or as a foe uh
1: certainly a friend for sure mm-hmm. um particularly kind of where I am now with it uh over the years so kind of from when I was a bit younger I never would really have described it as foe but certainly okay. periods of time when the relationship's been quite different um and maybe I'd describe it more as a sort of tool that I've used at different times in throughout my life and training and stuff Right.
0: What were you, let's go back to when you were a kid. How, how was food when you were little?
1: <laughs> so when I was really little, um, mm. I guess pretty in, intuitive to be fair. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those uh, sort of frustrating people who um, not maybe the biggest appetite, always naturally kind of to the slimmer side without having to try. Uh, yep. So as a, as a kid, I was kind of into a lot of sports and um, if anything, you know, very, very slim, but I could kind of get away with, you know, I was, had a lot of fizzy drinks, sweets, all that kind of stuff and it really food wasn't a huge part of my life. You know my mum always made fantastic dinners when we'd come home from school but outside of that I more or less ate what I wanted and never really thought too much about it.
0: So food in within the household was yeah. it was positive that was the message about it. It was it sounds as though it was functional and you just ate and got on with things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I say, I, I think maybe it speaks volumes in itself that it wasn't just something I, I had to think about much. We, right. we always had a, a kind of family meal with my brothers when we got home from school, which was always great. And then, yeah, you know, you know there, there was some some levels. Like me and my brothers were all pretty big on uh, drinking Coke when we were young, and my mum yeah. was, you know, maybe conscious that there was a limit to how much of that would be particularly good for us. So we used to buy us sort of a. Sort of six pack at the start of the week, and you know we weren't going to get any more, so okay. it was kind of ration it. So there was there was definitely some um, some level of somewhat sensible guidelines around different bits and pieces to do with that. But yeah, like I say, I don't have too many memories either way of, about food as a as a young kid.
0: Would you say that you were, as you got older? Would you say that you were someone who might I don't know forget to eat, be so busy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it was way more that way with with myself, particularly as I was a kind of a teenager. Um, you know, we quite often maybe wouldn't go to lunch, go into town, that kind of thing. And then, but, but you know, like, like it was fairly intuitive. Like then you'd get home from school, be really hungry, have a massive bowl of cereal and then not want your dinner, that kind of thing. So yeah. it was... Um, it's it, all it cereal, so- <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> exactly. I think it was kind of the bane of my mum's life was uh, everyone would come in starving. Then by the time it was dinner, there'd be no appetite. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it very much, it, it wasn't really until I was um, a teenager and started thinking about exercise and training and that kind of thing and uh in in which I started thinking about food in a different way.
0: So when you were a teenager and you were exercising, were you competitive? Were you competing in sports? Was your were you concerned with your performance and improving that?
1: Well, in truth, so I did. I played sport at a reasonable level when I was very young. I played football at uh, academy level. And then after that, um, I kind of I moved away from that. It was a lot of stress and pressure and all that kind of thing. So I moved away from that. And when I was um, a teenager at school, I was involved in all the sports teams and everything, but I kind of moved more into a sort of, you know, your rebellious teenager thing. I was playing in bands and all that kind of stuff. So really, okay. it, it certainly for me wasn't um, performance-driven. And, and really, up until I was probably 18, It was that same pattern of not really caring much about food, exactly as you said, probably skipping meals more than anything. But it was really when I decided that I kind of wanted to get into strength training and basically for aesthetic reasons, build muscle and get big or all that kind of stuff that I started to look at food differently. So it it was more vanity, I think, rather than um, performance.
0: Have you ever stopped eating or severely limited your intake?
1: Yeah. So that was uh, certainly not stopped eating, but I had a a very um, sort of big shift in my approach to food that came probably when I was about 25. Um, And that was simply because when I was, as I said, when I was a teenager, when I was a young guy and I first got into strength training, um, I'm that type that really struggles to put on weight. So Mm -hmm. I was was in the gym for probably a couple of years, really trying hard um, and just not seeing really any progress at all. And then it was kind of that journey that led me into looking more into nutrition. And because it's the kind of thing, I remember it quite vividly, like looking at all the YouTube videos about different ways to train and build muscle. Whenever there was a video on nutrition, I'd be like, I'm not interested in that. And and it's so funny, kind of in hindsight, because really that was exactly what I should have been looking at. Um, and, and, And so from that point, once I eventually did Caught on to that, and then throughout my time at uni, kind of between twenty to maybe twenty four ish, all of that time was spent very, very actively eating a lot, a lot of food um, to a point where that when when I kind of referenced earlier that at times it's been more of a tool than than uh, a friend or foe necessarily. That was definitely a case of um, I'd say my relationship with food then wasn't particularly normal. It was more about, I need to eat this amount. What's the easiest way for me to eat it, um, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of a period where I've eaten less, it, it came when I joined uh, 639, the personal training studio that I joined in London. And I just decided at that point after getting on the body composition machine that maybe for the first time in my life, um, in my pursuit to get bigger and bigger, maybe actually I'd gained a little bit more fat than I'd thought. So then I uh, undertook a bit of a period of sort of dieting to get, to get leaner. And that was quite eye-opening that that shift for me
0: that's interesting because I'm picking up that you're very capable at sticking to a regime and then because you're talking about eating functionally and and eating because you want to grow muscle and then you reverse it in your and you diet did you not just reverse the psychology or did you find it a struggle
1: yeah um I think the reason it was so useful for me to do both, to mm-hmm. spend many years trying to gain weight and then many years, well, not many years actually, probably quite the opposite, which maybe was part of the problem, is, is I lost a, a, a lot of weight in a, in a short period of time through quite aggressive diet intervention. And it was. Can I
0: interrupt? Yeah, Sorry. How did you feel about losing that amount of weight in such a short amount of time? Was it a bit thrilling?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to it. The, the first thing, because this is what I mean, do, doing the whole process was really eye opening in terms of how how much food and weight change and those kind of things can can have a big impact on psychology and, and all of that. So it really was eye-opening for me to have experienced these things for them when I'm dealing with my clients now, whether they have a weight gain goal or a weight loss goal or anything else, just to have actually had an opportunity to do both. Yeah. Um, and, and I completely accept that my experiences of, of that um, it may only be the tip of the iceberg for different journeys. You know, when I make, meet people that have lost tremendous amounts of weight, just even having the insight of the what was a relatively small amount of weight in comparison that I kind of went through, but yet still aspect of that that was so challenging, you, you, you gained some glimpse of an, of an insight into how that must be for those those people that do that. Um, but but certainly for me, the in terms of was it thrilling? The, the first barrier was having spent so long, almost having sort of an irrational fear of. If you, if you miss a meal, you're suddenly going to disappear and lose all of your, lose all of your muscle. Oh, because, did
0: you have that? Yeah, absolutely. you driven because, by I, that.
1: Yeah. Cause I, I think it's worth, I think it's worth mentioning that that, that period of time between when I was doing that training between maybe 20 and 24, I wasn't actually in the fitness industry then professionally. I was working in television and media and, and, ah, and so and were you so, in front of a camera? No, no, I was purely behind the camera, Gemma.
0: Okay, no, you (laughs) should have been in front of the camera. (laughs) Seriously, anyone who's listening, you should have been in front of the camera. I know I'm curious about the the pressure and and about how you look and how you appear, particularly Mm. in in telly. So that's Mm. why I asked that question. But still you're within that community, aren't you?
1: Yeah, for, for sure. And uh, for, for me, that was more just a case of, you know, speaking candidly, that wasn't a, a career that I enjoyed doing really. It was a lot of okay. long hours and it wasn't really what where my passion was. But it, I think like a lot of people, I kind of hadn't really found what my passion was until I was already at uni studying for that degree. Okay. And then I kind of got into the fitness and, and that side of things. So it was um, it was very much that in that period of time when I was working in that industry, I wasn't being sort of fulfilled in terms of what I was doing for a career. So I was all the time I had outside of that, I was spending in the gym and I was kind of possibly a little obsessive with the kind of trying to gain muscle and, and all of that side of things. So, my my point about mentioning that I wasn't in the industry at that point is certainly with what I know now, I would have a, a very different idea about the implications of missing one meal in terms of losing all of your muscle and and progress. But but certainly at the time for myself, and, and again, I meet many many young men and women, but ma- mainly men in this particular instance, um, who have got to a you know a large amount of muscle, but you know a little bit bigger, and perhaps the right move for what they actually want in terms of their goal is to to lose some weight. Um, it can be a very difficult thing to actually um, communicate that to someone who who is quite scared of, well, if I stop eating, I'm going to lose all of my muscle. And that was really where I was at for a long period of time.
0: Okay. Let's just dive into that a little bit. Mm. What does, I mean, I could tell you what I think it is, but I'm asking you. And what do you think, what are you after as, from a male perspective, as a man to put the muscle on? Is it about, fulfilling an ideal, being more attractive, attaining something, perfection. What, what is it for you? What was it, or is it, What you know, no, what was it for you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I look, I, th- I think it's very comparable with, with a lot of what we see, perhaps sadly the other way with, with women and, and yeah. kind of weight loss. And uh, absolutely. I mean, um, for me, it was, there was nothing really out. So certainly when I started with it outside of just, like I said, when I was a teenager, I was you know I was you know lots of friends popular guy at school and everything but conscious of the fact that I was kind of skinny uh, mm. and to me I just wanted to be bigger and and more muscular and, and in truth it it was kind of a very one dimensional goal it was and I think that's kind of why I got to that to that place of um, when I when I went to 639 and got on the body comp machine and seeing I was quite quite a bit more fat than I thought because I hadn't even considered for all of those years that I could ever get to a point of being kind of too Big because my mind had always said to myself, "Oh, you're you're skinny, you're slim. You need to gain weight." Does that kind of make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. I'm wondering if you ever felt you got there. Did you get big enough? (laughs)
1: Um, No, I think that's that's a really good question because and then it's one of those things where then you look back at pictures because for context, I'm about eighty kilos now, and at my heaviest, I was probably ninety kilos or so. Which and then when I'm leaner at the minute, I'd be closer to maybe seventy-five. So it's a real big swing. Yeah. Um, f- from where that was. And, and particularly given that when I was a teenager, I was far lighter than any of those numbers. So f- for people that knew me, I guess, or people at the time, it was a quite a, quite a big change to get as heavy as 90 kilos ish. Um, and did I ever get big enough? It, it's one of those things when you look back at it and I look back at some of those pictures now, I'm like, God, yeah, that's, that's completely different, you know, but uh, right. at the time, no, that didn't ever, I never sort of questioned that I needed to keep getting, Bigger, basically, yeah.
0: That, um, just before we take a quick break, that irrational fear mm. of missing a meal mm. and therefore losing muscle, surely you had that around missing an exercise session and it must have been, one of my favourite words, a tyranny, a regime to live under, which must have impacted the rest of your life or was it not that extreme? Yeah, I,
1: I think this, the slight difference, I'd say, is um, absolutely – But Mm. with the exercise, um, I loved it. And that was my outlet. And it was thoroughly enjoyable every time I went into the gym and did the sessions. The thing that's a little trickier with the food is when you're on a TV set and you've got a little Tupperware of tuna sitting in a bag for (laughs) sort of 11am between breakfast and lunch. That's the stuff that's more of the tyranny because it's ongoing and constant rather than just a nice hour and a half at the end of the day.
0: Yes. (laughs) But when you're not able to, okay, so your sort of functional approach towards food and around it obviously didn't sustain you. You kind of ran out of that of that feeling around food and wanted a, a better relationship because it's just so boring, isn't it?
1: Yeah, possibly. I, I think that may be more where I am now. I'd say okay. where I'm at, at now with it is a little bit more. I mean, certainly my relationship with food now is nothing like that. But prior to that happening, that was kind of one chapter of the kind of where food was um, trying basically just to eat as much as I, I kind of could. And, and it was, it was more nuanced than that. There were parameters around what I, what I, uh, had in my, my plan, but then to switch that to the restriction for the weight loss, that was a completely different approach, but just as, uh, sort of meticulous. So it's uh, that, 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 um, the stopping from wanting to be larger, was not sort of uh, a transition into something healthier and more balanced. It was probably a transition into something as equally, um, obsessive and, and, um, regimented but just to go back the other way and to become leaner
0: Um, i understand yeah Yeah, i completely understand before we take a quick break i'm going to ask you a question don't Mm. answer it think about it over the break Okay. this is like the soap opera cliffhanger was something else going on in your life emotionally and in the other areas of your life that corresponded with you suddenly switching and wanting to lose the weight we'll just be back in a moment Welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Dan Price. And just before we went on a break, I asked him if there was something that was happening in the rest of his life. So Dan was eating to put on weight, and then he reversed it and lost weight if there was something else happening in his life that motivated him to suddenly switch and to lose the weight. And we ended there, didn't we? So it's over to you.
1: Yeah. um, I think maybe worth kind of caveating with it that um, it, it... all of this, what I was doing in truth was all in pursuit of the kind of what we alluded to earlier, just trying to, to, I guess, have a, what I would class as a good physique, if that makes sense. Yeah. You what, know, whatever my ideal was of that at the time, I was very much into, you know, all the, um, YouTube aesthetic fitness guys, all, all of that, all that kind of stuff. So that was very much the culture of it. But yeah, there was definitely the, the fundamental shift came for me, um, of very much in the whole period of time when I was trying to gain weight and 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 everything, it was it was quite a solo journey. You know, none of my friends really were that into their their training um, and working in television. I was fairly isolated, lots of different jobs with different people, none of whom were into this kind of stuff. So it was yeah. very much a solo journey. Whereas when I joined 639, I was put into a to an environment with a load of other personal trainers, um, a load of other people also who were big into their fitness and their physiques and, and all the rest of it. And it was just a bit eye-opening for me. I got on the body composition machine, and I think it read my body fat percentage as about 18 or so, uh, which is still you know fine within healthy ranges and everything like that. But I think it was looking at that maybe compared to where some of the other guys were at in the gym at the time. Um, and actually looking at their physiques and going, oh, okay, maybe this, maybe this pursuit of just getting bigger and bigger actually isn't going to bring me the results I've been looking for and that maybe this shift in gears. So, so you know, in, in truth, was I influenced by going into, a, into an, uh, a world full of other fitness professionals who were in great shape and then thinking, ah, maybe I need to change what I'm doing? Yes, I'd say so.
0: Okay. Did you find that the way that you were living was affecting the rest of your life? Was it just that? Was it just working out, looking at what you were eating, Mm. training? Is that what happens? It gets compartmentalised?
1: I think that... it's a, it's a difficult one because I, I kind of reflect now on why is my relationship with, with all of this a bit just generally softer than, than it had been there, whether that's with training, you know, mm. my training intensity is far lower than it, than it was in my early 20s. My uh, approach to that kind of, that way of viewing food is completely different. I think that there's just an aspect of life stage with that. And I think when I was, like, as I was kind of saying earlier, I think when I was young and I'm working in a career that I didn't enjoy originally, that, that I was just channeling everything into this side of things. And it's like, okay, I might not be enjoying my career. I might not be doing this or doing that, but at least I think maybe control is the right word. I've got control over this side of things. I'm constantly getting stronger in the gym. My weight's going up, which at the time was the metric. Um, and I feel like I'm, I can almost bring myself like the life that I'm looking for through something to do with fitness and my physique. And, and I guess as much as that it certainly doesn't sound like the most balanced mindset. In a way, that's kind of true because it pushed me into a position where I, I had I had kind of the um, motivation to, to change industry, to get qualified as a personal trainer, come over into fitness because I was passionate about helping other people maybe do, do a similar thing. Um, and then from there, even though my relationship with my own training and fitness and things has changed, I think the main reason that's been able to change is because I'm now being more fulfilled in what I'm doing as a job, and in my wider lifestyle, in terms of in in the role I play now in other people's journey with food and fitness and everything else.
0: That's very interesting. That's health, that satisfaction. Mm. When um, I'm going to move away from from what we're talking about, but mm. did you feel? Yeah, when you were sort of bulking up, and then when you mm. you changed and you were losing weight, did you feel well? I know you weren't satisfied in your job, and that it was mm. your outlet, but did you feel well and nourished and? Did you have peace of mind, or did that come later? Was it the pursuit of it that gave you the peace of mind?
1: Yeah, I, I think, like I say, I, I, I think age and life experience is an important thing. When I was when I was in my early twenties, it, it, I just didn't give too much thought to any of it. It, it was yeah. fairly straightforward. I wanted yeah. to look better, be strong. Right, you know, okay. you, I, you know, I've met a lot of guys in, who, who are in similar positions to that. There's sometimes there's an example of I think where people can actually lose sight of why they started something like that there isn't an obsessive sort of nature to it and I, I, we could probably talk about this forever but but in terms of um i think guys in particular with this endless need to get bigger and all of that stuff is it's it what might start out as oh i want to be more attractive or i want to look better in a t-shirt and, and and maybe some feeling some kind of in- insecurity yeah it, it gets to a point with it where it's like you you kind of objectively now look too big or you look or or you're the guy at the party who can't drink um, a a beer with your friends because you're worried about your diet or something so actually what might have started as being something to maybe feel more secure and more confident and more look better actually just by continually going at it um, you actually may move into a place where you're moving further away from some of those things but um, it can be hard to see that I think when you're in it.
0: Yeah, I think probably impossible. Actually, what? Um, so you, as a young man, uh, how you wanted to look as a man? Let's I'm talk. Let's talk generally now. Do men still want to bulk up? I this sounds a bit naive because I know that they do, mm. but do they still want to bulk up and achieve that kind of um, masculine ideal in the same way that you wanted to? Because I'm thinking, are you talking about sort of 10, 12 years ago?
1: What am I talking about? How old am I? 31 so really okay. when yeah, I, I was in my early 20s so probably yeah 10 10 exactly about right 10, 12, okay. Yeah, okay
0: do you think it's changed do you think men, yeah. men's ideas have changed or perception or how they how they view each other how they want to be viewed
1: yeah i think um there's still there is only ever i think it's only going in one direction sadly which is that body ideals being put on men and women are continuing to, to be more pressure Uh, on both, uh, to, to uh, the way one should look or, or things like that. But I think perhaps from men, it's changed a little bit. The the kind of fitness space has evolved a little bit from say maybe 20 years ago where you sort of had bodybuilders who were humongously large creatures, which realistically no one's going to ever look like without a lot of chemical assistance. Whereas in the last (laughs) maybe 15, 10 years or so, there was more of this birth of, um, well, it, it, with with YouTube and social media, kind of people whose physiques looked a bit more attainable. Right. Um, a bit more, you know, the kind of thing you might see in, in um, Marvel superhero movies. You right. know, the kind of guys that look. And I think from that, while in a way it, on the surface, it sounds good because it's a bit more attainable. It's still incredibly difficult. And if you're not someone who's maybe genetically gifted to, to go that way and wants to spend all of that time and, and energy on it, it, it is still a bit of an endless pursuit to look like, you know, Zac Efron. Or some, or something like that. You know, for sure, for sure. Um, but no, I think it's definitely still there. I, I think there's maybe some better. You know, uh, a lot of people now might look at some uh, professional football players or MMA fighters. These uh, MMA is certainly a more popular sport now. And I think those physiques, while still very difficult and um, and lean and all the rest of it, are not to the same extent just large. Right. Whereas in the past that, that kind of being larger, I think, was more of a thing for guys, perhaps, than it is now with the, the younger generation.
0: So two questions. Do you think we begin we're beginning to value form? I mean function over form. Or or is it still form over function? And how do men look at each other? How do you rate each other in the fitness mm. world? Because I as a speaking from a female perspective, as a woman, you know, people might not like me saying this, but we always check each other out first Mm. and there's so much it's the comparison the continual comparison which has been because when I was growing up there's no social media it was magazines and well it was magazines and films and pop videos Mm. um so I haven't grown up with social media it's it's kind of new to me you know yeah what sorry, there's a lot there, isn't there? That's okay. Yeah. What do you think about all of that? Can you unpick that for me?
1: <laughs> I can try. Um, <laughs> I, I think. I think what's tough now is it can. It can feel like there's more, far more acceptance for different body types and things like that now, which I think to to be fair, that 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 is a true statement. But I think partly why that exists is because of what you've mentioned about social media and everything else. Whereas in the past it might be that someone was maybe, say as a guy into fitness or not, and if they were into fitness, it was quite a narrow focus on what that looked like. Whereas now I think it's so saturated and it would be very difficult, I think, to be a young person now at this point and not have had some level of influence in, in thinking about our oh, workout program or looking at a fitness influencers page or being aware of a fitness guide. Does that kind of make sense that it's, it's so yeah. saturated yeah, that the fact course. that within that there are pockets and there might be, um, some women or, or young, young women that are drawn more towards the sort of, um, you know, strong, not skinny culture. And they're very much into the, maybe more of the weightlifting and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, just because those things are new and more prevalent, I actually don't think it means there's any less people that are still trying to perhaps eat as little as possible and be influenced by by that sphere of things. I just think there's more of everything. So when you take a broad brushstroke, it can seem like oh well, haven't we got lots of different people that that have different goals? And right. but it's actually, I think there's still it's it, still a lot of influence in all directions.
0: Yeah, I think the drivers are still the same, really. Mm. And just to go back, how do how do you guys look at each other? What what do you assess? What do you sort of tick uh, off and go? Yeah, yeah, they've they've really they've really got it.
1: Yeah, I, I, again, it's difficult for for me. To, I think my opinion on it's maybe different to to what the norm might be, just from being in the industry and and, and different things. But certainly, I think there. When I was at school, when I was in my early twenties, I think people generally re- respected other guys that were maybe in in good shape or worked out or stronger. You know, the stronger thing's an interesting one when you, mm. you go to the, go to the gym with with different guys. Actually if people were strong on an exercise or regardless, almost of what they looked like, that was seemed to be something that was maybe more important between guys in a group, um, which is an interesting thing perhaps. But yeah, I, th- I think, I think it's that, I mean, look guys, I, I train a lot of guys that, that want to get in shape for holidays or weddings and things. And it's the same kind of stuff. People want to have abs, people want to, be bigger. Those two things are usually um, difficult to do at the same time. Uh, But (laughs) everyone everyone wants it all, and it all probably could be defined as being big arms, big chest, abs, if we had to nail it on the head.
0: Do you think, right, yes, big arms, big chest, and abs. (laughs) Like a Marvel superhero, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, really skinny legs. (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) Do you think that the pressures on men and women are the same? In, in how we
1: look um, no I think it's still disproportionately you do, um, okay. affects women yeah but
0: you've kind of said that haven't you yeah
1: I think it does, I think I think it does um, I think but again similar to my last point I think there's far more pressure than ever on men um, but there's equally far more pressure than ever right. on women I mean its without even getting into the filters and things on Instagram um,
0: yeah.
1: and all of the photo editing stuff where, I mean all of that stuff is just I, I think kind of like just a completely different level of damaging in mm. terms of people's perception of their own body versus other people's which just didn't exist even 5 years ago i don't think unless i've missed it you know uh, that, i that, think that.
0: you're right mm. i think you're right okay so you're working in telly and then you <laughs> become then you did you start training at 639 and then you started your nutritional qualifications? Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. So I was, became a personal trainer. I probably did maybe three years of that working with a lot of clients as a PT before then deciding that I need to get more into nutrition specifically. Okay. Um, yeah.
0: did, did you love personal training?
1: Yeah. I mean, I still personal train now. I, I still yeah. do some personal training now with clients that I've had for a very long time, but I'm certainly, it's certainly something I'm scaling back. Um, and and that, that had been my goal since transitioning into nutrition. Listen, you can be a fantastic personal trainer until any age. Um, but for me, just in my career and where I wanted to go into the industry, I, I felt, firstly, well, we can get into why, but I wanted to transition more into nutrition coaching anyway. Um, but it for me as a career move felt like something that perhaps had a little bit more longevity in terms of working in that in that field into later life and lecturing and mentoring and those kind of things. So there was a couple of reasons for me why why that why I've scaled back a little bit of one-to-one personal training partly because it's exhausting as well Gemma it's worth saying.
0: Oh, it's <laughs> relentless, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think you, I think all trainers have a, a limited time period really.
1: Mm.
0: Um so what is your fascination around nutrition? Mm. And what yeah. you love? What do you love about it? And what do you want to share with people? And why is it clearly your mission? Tell tell me about that.
1: Yeah, and and it, it maybe it is slightly it's a bit of a different one. It's one of those things. Often when when I say someone asks me what I do, I'm a nutritionist. People, are like, oh, you must eat really healthily all the time, and it's like <laughs> it's not not really. It's because because <laughs> for me, and I know a lot of people get into nutrition because they're fascinated with food, they love cooking, maybe they're really interested in health, well being, all that kind of stuff. For me it was really, it came out of working with clients for a long, long time, um, doing personal training. And again, for uh, working in, in central London or Covent Garden, at least 80% of the clients were people who wanted to lose weight. Um, and, and they were perhaps overweight just purely as a result of kind of the lifestyle stuff associated with being in the city, maybe having to entertain clients, restaurant meals, alcohol, that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so fair, that's a fairly typical client I might, might have been working with. And what you'd see so much is a client coming in two or three hours a week for a personal training session, giving 110% in the session, really trying hard, but just not getting the result they were looking for. Because yeah. ultimately, we always sort of sort of say this, if you think about, how many hours are, are in a week, and you're only gonna spend three of those in a gym, it's it's far less, isn't it? And really the the habit change and, and the, the real difference is, is coming out of that time outside of the gym. So it was really that that inspired me to move more into a capacity where I could sit down and actually talk to someone solely about their nutrition with the hope that that would be where they then put their emphasis to, to actually get their results more.
0: Okay, we'll be right back. We're just gonna take a quick break. Welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Dan and we're going to dive straight in. I'm talking to Dan about his calling to be a nutritionist and his mission and what he is compelled to share with everybody about nutrition and the clients that he works with. So, and it's very much about promoting a positive relationship with food, isn't it? So we're going to steer away from disordered eating because I'm sure you have those clients Mm. And we're going to talk about what it is to, as you said, not vilify the foods and to build a positive relationship. And also, I guess, a sustainable relationship,
1: right? That's right. Yeah. And I think sustainability is, is a big one. Mm. Um, you know, the, the calling for me to, to kind of get more into nutrition and, help, and helping my clients is just from, from that experience of me being young and me spinning my wheels for several years, trying to bring about the results I wanted in the gym without looking at the nutrition, has really made me think what I want to do is just save people time and help people do something in the way that's actually going to be easiest and most achievable for them. There's nothing worse than someone giving 110% effort and not getting the results because the things they're applying themselves to aren't the right windows of opportunity.
0: And can you narrow it down or is it individual?
1: Well, it is it is individual, but again, just from working with the sheer volume of, of clients, it does allow you to go, okay, well, these are certainly the most common things. Go on then. Okay, so, so when, when it comes to weight loss... Um, which again is at least 80% of the people I encounter. Yes, in, this
0: is one of your on. main things, yeah.
1: It, it is, but you know, as I say, my background was always in, I, I thought if I became a personal trainer and nutritionist, I'd be trying to help skinny young guys get build loads of muscle. Right. But actually, right. the way it's the way it's translated is you just have to work with the people that, that are coming to see you. Uh, and, and being where I was, it was predominantly people looking to lose weight who were working in, in the city. Um. And this is where it comes into a little bit of the thing about restriction and and vilifying different foods is the most common pattern I see by far is, is people come into a nutrition consultation and we start talking about what they're typically doing with food. And normally, by the time someone's coming to a nutritionist, it, this isn't their first attempt at an intervention. They've normally tried some things themselves. So what you quite often see is when you go through a typical day with them, you'll see something that looks a bit like, oh, some porridge for breakfast. You know, I might get like a salad or a sandwich from prayer. Oh, I know bread. It's not great but i'll have a maybe a sandwich or a salad um in the afternoon i might have some nuts or fruit or may- maybe i'll have a chocolate bar if i'm being naughty or right. this kind of thing confessional and then yeah and then dinner i'll normally people are having some kind of protein carbon vegetable meal cooked at home maybe sometimes i might get a takeaway but what's interesting is they they've they've got that typical day under a microscope and they're, they're sort of like, oh, no, I have white rice sometimes, when I know I should probably have brown. But by the time you get to the weekend, and then it's, well, actually we go for work drinks on a Friday. <laughs> and I probably have half a bottle of wine. And then <laughs> yeah. on Saturday I go out with my partner to a restaurant, and it's kind of, well, you know, I have a, have a starter and a main, a couple of glasses of wine. And then oh, actually on Sunday we go for a roast with my in-laws. What you can then sort of map out to them is like that, what you're doing Monday to Thursday, if anything, is probably even less food. That then i'd want you to be eating to feeling good and energized okay. it certainly doesn't matter to me too much if you want to have one of those prep sandwiches rather than the, the salad it's if we can look at that weekend and go can we have some moderation maybe to the amount of alcohol can we maybe move from three restaurant visits to one right can we maybe swap that delivery in the in the week to, to a recipe i can give you at home what you find is the weight loss can come very quickly and very sustainably with that because you're not actually asking people to completely restrict Carbohydrates, or completely cut out all the foods they're Like you're just looking to look at that layer that's on the top, which people often turn a blind eye to.
0: Absolutely understand that. Do you find that people aren't cooking for themselves?
1: Yeah, I think I think I have maybe like a biased sample size there uh, of being in London, um, where people are, are working and grabbing food on the go a lot for lunch. So it's actually very rare that I meet people in London who are cooking for themselves at lunch, and then at home. I think the the kind of lockdown the last couple of years has not done a lot of great good for people's ease of access of Deliveroo and those kind of things. So, yes, I think largely I'd agree with that.
0: Do you think, I mean, let's go back and be a bit more specific in a minute. Um, Mm. But what you're saying is making me think of other things. Do you think generally we don't know how to nourish ourselves on a very basic level with our foods and the way we live?
1: I, th- I think maybe nu- I think nourish is an interesting word because I think it implies a little bit more around kind of diet quality, right, uh, in terms yeah. of actually eating well for health and those kind of things. Which, which for me, again is an area I work in, and it is where I'm trying to get people to, but often when I meet someone who's, who's, who's very overweight, or not even very overweight, but just looking for that as the primary goal, when you look at the makeup of a diet in the way that I've just described to you, even though only two or three days of the week are the excessive days of calorie intake, when you then take that week as a whole, it's like nearly half of the calories are coming from those two days and the foods that are being consumed are alcohol and low quality restaurant food. So then by default, the diet has to be fairly unnourishing in its quality because actually only a very small percentage of the calories are coming from proper meals, to use that term meaning maybe something home-cooked or or even a salad that you get on the go. So by even in that instance, the biggest window of opportunity is reducing the calories coming from lower-quality food in the weekend restaurant food and alcohol and actually putting more food into the week, which may feel counterintuitive to them at first. But If you're putting in more vegetables, lean proteins, those kind of things, actually the calorie intake remains appropriate for weight loss, but they're actually now eating more nourishing food.
0: It's interesting, isn't it, because emotionally you're, if you're doing that, you're, you're doing that thing of being good for four or five days. And then, you know, yep. the weekend I've deserved it and I can do this because you know, subconsciously, or maybe even consciously, you're going to be back on that hamster wheel on the Monday yeah. saying, yep. Oh, I mustn't have any brown white rice. Yes. And, yeah. And, um, mm. and then that goes on and on and on, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And I I think, so for me, that something I try and use there is destroying both those concepts of bad at the weekend and good in the week and rather say to someone, well, look, I'd actually, and I've got plenty of people that have lost lots of weight over time by having some chocolate every single day, because what I'd much rather that person do is see the chocolate, especially when they've come in, Gemma, sometimes people come into me and say, oh, you know, chocolate's really my biggest weakness. Every time I try and give up chocolate, um, I just fail and it never works. And then it's like many coaches would go, all right, well, let's stop chocolate. And it's like, hang on a minute, they've just told you for free that every time they try and cut out chocolate, (laughs) they fail. So why is that the first intervention? The the first intervention for me there would be, how can we get it so as we can actually include some chocolate every day within this plan and still bring about an appropriate diet for weight loss for this intervention? And you can absolutely do that. And what you'll often find is if someone's eating a sensible amount within an otherwise well-balanced day, that then you're not getting that weekend – need to go have a load of chocolate or feel like oh I've I've messed it up because I've had some chocolate now I'm going to have to overeat on it. So it, it's it's that it's it, it's saying it's not bad to eat chocolate and yeah. nor is it nor is it good to completely restrict it.
0: I yeah I'm I agree with you. I think we love to put we love things that are opposites, don't we? We love oh. this is good, this is bad and and going between them and polarizing everything it's it's what we do. Yeah. Um and then there's no middle ground, there's no moderation. Um when you yes what are your well maybe you've made it very clear you've talked about sustainability you've talked about consistency not denying foods not saying a good food is a good food or a bad food if you wanted to like bang a kind of nutritional drum what what would you what would you say What, what would your thing be
1: I mean, again, it's broad in a lot of that context that I'm talking about kind of weight loss, I guess, um, versus just generally what I maybe say about nutrition on the whole, but, but I think maybe, yeah, maybe to pull an answer for all of it. Um, the, whether it's for weight loss or, or for anything else, the, the context, it's always context. And that's what I'm trying to trying to say whenever I, I post a lot of content on Instagram and all these kind of things, it's, it's, it's okay. And there's a lot of this message now about people saying, oh, this food isn't good or this food isn't bad or you can have chocolate or you can have... It's like, sure, but depending on what the goal is or what the, and even if the goal is just kind of health, there, there has to be parameters to some of this. Because again, if you, if you just ate chocolate all day, that wouldn't be a very healthful diet. But yeah. equally, if you just ate spinach every day, that wouldn't be a very healthy diet either. Sure. Yeah. So then, and then even if you went, okay, well, what if you only ate textbook kind of clean foods every day? So we only ate chicken, broccoli, rice and all that kind of stuff. It's like, that's very, I mean, for some people they may absolutely love it, but for most of the clients I work with, that would be a diet that would be requiring a, a high level of willpower and probably a fair amount of mental uh, suffering to have to never eat any of the foods they really enjoy. Yeah. So then at that point, that's not a particularly healthy diet from a kind of mental health perspective or kind of enjoyment of quality of life. So, It all goes into the mix together, and it's kind of how do you put all of those moving parts together and come up with a diet for the individual which ticks all of those boxes of, okay, if it is a weight-conscious goal, whether that's weight up, weight down, weight the same, that to some degree calorie intake is going to need to be in the right place. If there's a fitness aspect to it where they're trying to build muscle protein intake needs to be considered. And then outside of that, it's just this balancing act between diet quality, which is all the traditional stuff we might look at to do with getting your fruits and vegetables, your nuts and seeds, all that kind of stuff, balanced with a sustainable approach, which might mean including some restaurant food, including some chocolate or processed foods that you would really enjoy, some alcohol. But that balancing act between those two things is the thing you need to get right for the individual so they can actually stick to it long enough to achieve the goal.
0: And I would have thought um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that that's actually a minor part of what you're doing with a client. I imagine the rest of it is psychological and just being there for them and being in their corner.
1: Yeah, I think, and, and that's absolutely right. I mean, and actually that's, that has influenced a lot of the way I, um, deliver my coaching services over, over the years. Just just because of the way it was at 639 where I work, I, we kind of created a role there, which was that when a new member joins up to train with any of the personal trainers there, they would come to me first for a nutrition consultation. Right. And that process was I would give them the plan. we chat obviously for an hour, 90 minutes or whatever. We'd get to the bottom of it and I'd build them a plan. But the idea is that they would then go with their trainer. And continue training i would work with the trainer but also they'd have that plan to kind of um, work with and they would do the accountability with the client um, but with my private work that i do i do that much more in ongoing we check in weekly or we check in every two weeks and i tend to find that pretty much the more frequently i'm able to check in with someone the better their results tend to be um, and that is for the exact reason you've said it's being there it's e- even just to say well done yeah. Or just to, just to say, look, you had there was a little wobble on that day and actually talking someone back from the ledge in a way and sort of saying, look, there was a little wobble, but that's not going to affect things long, as long as we can go, okay, cool, let's largely get back on track with things next week. It's okay that that happened. Those little touch points yeah. are the difference between someone interpreting a, a, something that's happened that wasn't quite 100% on track, interpreting that in such a way that completely sends them the other way into the kind of write-off mentality versus going actually, this isn't a problem at all. Let's try and get back on track. So, yeah, I think contact time is very important.
0: So do you have clients who've been with you for a long time? Are you a, a, yeah. a, their constant nutritional coach? Oh, no. yeah, you're, you're not a coach. You're a nutritionist. Sorry.
1: Yeah, but, 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 but I'm quite happy with the, with the term nutrition coach. Okay. It's, a really, it's an interesting area. I mean, like I say, my, my qualifications are that I have a master's degree in, in sports nutrition. Yeah. You know, sure. So, so that, that's kind of it. I think the main one people get um, – contentious over is the kind of dietitian versus sure. nutritionist and all of that. But it's, yeah. that, that for me is very much dietitian, is much more of a medical setting. So I'm yeah. working with people with specific diseases, but yeah, I'm happy with nutrition coach because you're, you're coaching nutrition at the end of the day. So it's a fine term for me. Yeah, so, um, so people, But yeah, some people I've had, I've had um, some clients for seven years. Wow. Wow,
0: yeah. wow. So if someone wanted to come and find you, yep. where would they find you? And what would, how would it look? Say, I, I rock up and I say, oh, I've got a few things I want to change about my diet and I, I'd like to come and see you. Or I, uh, do we have a phone consultation? Or how does it work?
1: Yeah. So, uh, look, I work with lots of different um, gyms and and individual trainers. I have kind of a referral network with you know, a referral network with a lot of different personal trainers who will refer me their clients, and then I do the consultation with them, and then work with that trainer with their client um, in whatever basis suits the client. But in terms of my my private work, uh, yeah, you can just contact me through. Um, instagram or through my website danpricenutrition.com um and look, there's uh, as we as we kind of mentioned i rather work with a small number of people who i can give a very high quality of service to rather right. than working with lots and lots of people with generic plans and this kind of stuff so what i always say to people is just book in for the consultation first we'll do the consultation because because to our point about um you know, uh, diet adherence and someone needing that contact time. While I think that is true in the majority of cases, there are some people that just need to, perhaps in the example I've given earlier, be shown that, oh my God, wow, I didn't realize that having that much, just having those drinks and those restaurant visits at the weekend, that that was really just, if I just looked at that area, I wouldn't have to keep... And that consultation and the notes that I'd send through might be enough for them to go amazing. And then some people have a consultation and I hear back from them in a few months and they've absolutely smashed it and they're in, they're, they're in a great place with it all and almost feel like, wow, now I know what I'm doing. Um, whereas other people, of course, it's a more a long-term touch point. So, But I'd never sort of suggest to someone, oh, sign up on this package or that package. Just come and have the consultation. And then in that process, we can kind of decide whether... We need to see each other weekly or monthly or whether actually you're happy just to get started with the plan.
0: Okay. And all your, all your information, obviously, we will have on our Instagram page and under your show notes. Um, yeah. I'm imagining that you um, – yeah, you clearly – will. you speak about nutrition and fitness, don't you, at events? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. You're like a, a key speaker. Yes. So can people – Watch you on youtube and you've got lots of stuff up there
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it on at the moment it's mainly instagram has always just been the platform okay. that i've used okay, um cool. and there's lots of little short bits of me talking about different topics on there that you can find Great. um you know Gemma, you alluded at the start about sort of being busy it, it is tough because i've always <laughs> i always find this an irony with with coaches is when my life gets busy with my actual job, which is coaching clients, you'll see less and less of me on social media putting out content. Right, uh, okay. And, and actually, which is a strange thing because often you look at someone who's super busy on social media, they're putting all this content out. Wow! But it's like when, <laughs> when you're actually busy, you don't have time to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been a little—I have been a little busy of late. So my content's not always quite as regular as um, as I'd like. But um, yeah, there'll be more more in, in that way coming soon. I'm sure.
0: Okay, I think it's great though to be busy that you haven't got time for social media. I think that's <laughs> much the much preferred version. That's so, my, my final question. Thank you so much, Dan. Before okay. uh, this, for coming on, and um, yeah, an absolute pleasure. If you were on a, if you were, I did my uh, Devonshire accent came out <laughs> then. If you were on an island, mm. be it tropical or cold or wherever, and you could take five foods with you,
1: mm.
0: or five drinks, or five whatever, what would you take?
1: Mm. Well, I feel like the answer should be somewhat split between um, things that would sustain me nutritionally yeah. and, and things I enjoy. I think coffee would probably be first on the list. it yes. so would be very unpleasant for me and anyone else who's there with me if I wasn't going to have that So, coffee. Um, How do you uh, have your coffee? So to be honest, when I say coffee, I mean caffeine. I'm not. I'm not one of these snobs about um, you know artisan coffee. Right, okay. I, I can make do with an instant. I can make do with something fancier. or When cool. I'm in a pinch, you know, I can make do with a with a, a low budget energy drink if needs must. But okay. there's One of my vices is uh, is caffeine. So okay. Some, some kind
0: of caffeine. Yep, coffee. Yeah,
1: Coffee. <laughs> yep. Um. And there I, I guess just from a nutrition point of view, uh, like salmon. I'm a big. I, I eat a lot of salmon. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's also great. Great. A lot of uh, nutrient quality. Uh. I'm a rice man as the carbs. I like rice. I have rice with anything really. Yeah. And then I'm going to cheat a little bit and say some kind of green smoothie. So we'll get a load of spinach, <laughs> all, all the good stuff. All you're then, yeah. <laughs> greens. Greens. <laughs> um, and then the last one for me would definitely be chocolate. Oh, So whether that's dairy milk or anything else, just a whole suitcase of chocolate.
0: Oh, you're a milk chocolate person.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay.
0: Okay. Dan, thank you so much for coming on this Food Thing podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Of course, it was my pleasure to be here. Brilliant, brilliant.
0: Thanks for listening. I'd love to know your favorite bit from this episode. Let me know on Instagram at podcast, or join us again in the next episode.